Taking years to write a book is so last century. Hi, I'm Liesl Hill. I help aspiring authors move toward their dreams of career authordom by mastering their story, mastering their words, and mastering their marketing. If you're ready to put your head down and do the work necessary to eventually live off your fiction royalties, then tune in each week. I'll give you actionable tips and hacks, as well as inspiring interviews with writers who are already doing this. We are Prolific Authors. Good morning, Prolific Authors. Today I'm going to be interviewing the wonderful Jeff Bacon, who has some really amazing writing insights. We had a really fun conversation, and I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Before we get to that... I want to remind you about our crime and mystery box set. If you want to support us, it is called dead. That is D E A D, which stands for dark, edgy, and dangerous. <laughs> it's really funny when we address each other in our Facebook group that we're all in for this box set. We're like, hello, dead authors. And it just sounds funny. We all have a good giggle about that, but because we're all crime writers, we actually, you know, kind of like that. So it's kind of fun. Anyway, we are still looking to get sales, of course, on any platform, but especially Apple. So I will make sure and put that link in the show notes if you would like to support us. It's 99 cents for the pre-order and you're going to get 18 different novellas from 18 different authors who are all very, very experienced and skilled authors. I also want to remind you that you can work with me if you're interested. I am a story clarity coach. I teach aspiring authors to streamline their craft, which is code for write faster and more efficiently, uh, to up-level their writing and make sure that they are connecting with readers emotionally and that, you know, they're telling page turners, bestsellers, that, that the readers will really um, connect deeply with their stories and also to hone in on their marketing uh, so they can reach the correct readers. So if you are you know, needing help in any of those areas, I would invite you to jump on a 15-minute clarity call with me. It's a completely free call to you, and I don't really do any selling on these calls. It's just me and you talking about whether or not I could be helpful to you in your writing journey. If I can, great, then we will move forward from there. But if not, no big deal. So hop on a call with me. I still have a few slots left for um, before the end of the year and you can go to calendly.com forward slash the prolific author forward slash clarity 15. I know that's a bit of a mouthful, but I will put it in the show notes if you're interested. And finally, uh, make sure that whatever platform you are uh, consuming this podcast on, make sure you hit subscribe. I've been working really hard the last few months and I have a lot of really actually very inspiring interviews coming up. Like some of the people I've talked to were just wonderful and I'm, I'm really excited for you guys to hear them and I don't want you to miss any of that. So make sure and hit subscribe. Okay, so now we are going to um, jump into the interview with Jeff Bacon. He is a fantasy author who lives in Wisconsin in the States. And yeah, he's really, he really knows his stuff and he's got a lot of great insights and a lot of great advice for aspiring authors. So let's just hop into the interview. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, prolific authors, me again. Are you on Pinterest? You really should be. Pinterest is its own search engine and it has more than 2.5 billion active members, many of whom are on the platform weekly, if not daily. And guess what? A good chunk of those readers get on Pinterest to look for books, reviews, bookish communities, and all things fiction. Entrepreneur Stephanie Gass has created a training course that shows other entrepreneurs how to use Pinterest. Her tips can be adapted to any industry, including to us prolific authors. So if you want to learn how to use Pinterest to get extra visibility, be it for your books, your blog posts, or anything else you might create and want to find an audience for, this is for you. She'll even show you how to set it up so Pinterest works for you on autopilot and you only have to monitor it for a few minutes a week. So don't miss Stephanie Gass's Pinterest Masterclass. Go to bit.ly forward slash TPA Pinterest, TPA for the prolific author. So once again, that's bit.ly forward slash TPA Pinterest. 
why don't you start by introducing yourself and telling everybody who you are and what you write and that sort of thing. Okay. Well, my name is Jeff Bacon. I am the host of the DIY Writer Podcast. I'm also a author. I write uh, dark fiction, uh, urban fantasy, you know, dark fantasy type stuff, some horror stuff, a little bit of grim dark, and every now and then I'll throw in a little bit of steampunk in, in some future projects here. Um, I've actually been writing in the self-published market for about three years now. Um, my first uh, attempt at it uh, crashed and burned and, uh, and uh, flamed out really, really fast. And it's like, oh, geez, I need to figure out what I'm doing here. You can't just post something to uh, Amazon. I expect it to uh, you know, hit uh, James Patterson and Stephen King levels real fast. And so then I kind of regurgitated and relaunched and rebooted last year um, with, uh, with, uh, three rewritten books and, uh, you know, it's not been going too bad except for this whole COVID shutdown, <laughs> lockdown, can't write, can't do anything, you know, kind of thing. But uh, right, yeah. right. besides that, I mean, it's been great. <laughs> so, um, let me ask you then, I think it's funny that you say you expected to hit Stephen King levels. I think everybody does. Everybody expects to be JK Rowling with their first book. And so that's, that's very, very common. Not even J.K. Um, Rowling was J.K. Rowling in her first book. Right, right, exactly. Um, so when you when you did it the first time and you said you crashed and burned, was it the same genres? Were you writing the same genres the first yeah. time as you did the second time? Okay. Yeah, so what happened was, um, you know, first thing you do is you try and find an editor. Well, I found a crappy editor. And uh, I didn't realize you had to proofread it afterwards and everything else. Um, didn't actually realize that you had to write a story and not just a bunch of uh, musings put into uh, chapter form. Right. Um, you know, it was my first attempt at fiction, which I think actually I'm, I'm absolutely pretty sure that every author um, has a crappy first book. Yeah. Yeah you know, realistically. And then you start to figure things out and then it's like, oh, and then you rewrite it and then you redo it and then you re-edit it and, you know, so on mm -hmm. and so forth. And now I have a, a pretty decent process in place, but, um, you know, as an author, I mean, I talk to lots of authors that uh, have anywhere from one book to, uh, you know, 40 books out and I've been doing it for years and years and years. And everybody right. says the same thing. I could just, I, I could get better. You know, and it's, mm -hmm. it's one of those things where I don't think you ever obtain uh, perfection. You just always strive for it. Yeah. And, uh, I agree. I agree. So do you want to tell us what your process is in general for getting your writing done? Uh, sure. I sit down and I write and then I cut it up and then I write it again. Yeah. <laughs> and go through uh, a few drafts and then I'll send it off to a proofreader. Uh, this proofreader, she's also a beta reader, and so she'll give me all sorts of notes and say, "Ah, this didn't make so much sense." Oh, dude, you're you know kind of going off the reservation over here, you know, and 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 give me some good feedback, and then I rewrite it again. Yeah. Um, the reason I send it to a proofreader first is that when I send it to an editor, I want the editor to concentrate not only on, not have to concentrate as much on grammar. And spelling and everything else, because if they get too caught up in that, they can't actually read the story. Right. You know, and I, I like to get my editor um, involved in the story and, and give me some more feedback. Mm -hmm. And then once I get it back from the editor and we go back and forth a few times and they're like, okay, it's done. I'll send it off to my beta readers. 
and then they'll change it up a little bit. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, I, I wish you would have done this, or maybe, uh, you know, don't kill this guy. I never, I never worry about not killing somebody, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I well, given that you write horror, you know, it's kind of baked in. <laughs> somebody, you know, it's usually the wrong character and, and oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe you killed him. Oh yeah. He's gone. Yeah. <laughs> he, she had to go. I'm sorry. Yeah. But, um, and then, uh, and then once I get those finishing touches put on, I'll send it yet to a, another editor just so they get a fresh look at it. And so I, I have plenty of eyes on it before I actually publish it. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the way I do my short stories for the most part. Um, short stories, I don't think I take as much time in, but the, the novels I do. Right. So how many drafts do you think you go through before you're ready to publish? 152. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I was say, you actually sit there and count them, huh? <laughs> Well, you know, it's kind of like PTSD. It just kind of sticks in your brain and you remember every horrible, you know, uh, painful part of it. Right. You know, I... It's that's just... That. Yeah. <laughs> I say, well, and, and to some extent, that's just being an author. You know, we tend to remember the details and being human, we tend to remember the bad stuff instead of the really good stuff. And so... <laughs> Kind of See, just I find it a little bit different because I'll read it and I'll be like, did I really write that? Holy buckets, what was I thinking? That's wrong. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. uh, you know, I go from a, uh, a real um, kind of loose outline mm-hmm. to just hitting the pair, you know, just hitting the, the, uh, the action points to actually filling it in and then changing it again. So then whatever I wrote in my outline, it's not even close to that by the time I'm done. It really? Send it off to proof, but yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's really interesting though, because it just shows I, I'm, but you do write an outline to start. So it sounds like. I do because everybody says it's the right thing to do. And then I probably <laughs> use it for about five minutes and then go on to my, uh, yeah. my, my, my pantsing project. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big proponent of outlining, and I think one of the main reasons is that, like, one thing that I get a lot of pushback on is it's just something people think, and it's not really true, but they think that once they put it down in an outline that it's set in stone. And I always tell them that, no, you can change your outline anytime you want to change your outline. In fact, you should once you figure out, you know, that there's something better for your story, but I think sometimes an outline just helps you to get started, because we can be so paralyzed by not making a decision for our writing, you know, so you just kind of have to use it to get started and then you can change it up however you need to change it up. I, I think what happens with me is that I, um, I write the outline and I put together a story. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I get done writing it, the characters tell me that it has to end differently or this has to happen in order for this has, you know, for, for this event to happen, here's the things that need to precede it. And it, it becomes um, kind of this psychotic little world that I build in my head where everybody's kind of talking to me at once mm-hmm. and it changes, but I don't, I, I look at the outline for um, parts of the first draft. I'd say I get through about half my outline and then I scrap it. Yeah. And then I go into, you know, here's what, here's what my chapters are laid out as. And so I'll have a paragraph on every chapter of where it goes to. Um, and then I go in and I fill in the details in, in the dialogue. I don't have any dialogue in, in my, uh, in my, I don't know if you want to call it a, a rough draft of my outline or mm-hmm. whatever. I don't actually add dialogue until uh, probably my third pass. Oh, okay. And I'll start adding dialogue and then uh, scene setting. 
So it's just kind of putting layers on. Yeah. So when you go through it first, you're just kind of putting down the action as it happens the first time. I have, I have to write out the story to make sure it makes sense mm -hmm. is, is what I do. It, it, uh, it's gotta be a good story or else it just ends up in the archives to where, you know, maybe someday I'll, I'll write that story, but, uh, right. you know, it, it's gotta, it, it's gotta make sense. It's gotta be something that I could sit down in the bar with somebody and say, Hey, I got a story for you, you know, <laughs> and, and be able to tell them and actually keep their interest for, you know, 40, 50 chapters. Right. Right. So I noticed that you said um, the characters tell you what, how it has to end. So do you think um, that you really flesh out your characters and their like personalities and things like that? Do you have that in your mind before you write or do they come to you as you write? Um, both. Both? Yeah. Real, yeah. I mean, realistically, so I've got my main characters kind of fleshed out and I do the old, uh, you know, kind of the psychological, you know, this is what they are. This is what their tendencies are. And, you know, really try and map mm -hmm. it out. And then they change on me and they become, you know, uh, they almost become real. Yeah. And um, same thing with the, uh, the uh, secondary characters is, you know, Hey, you know what? I really should have a uh, fluffy dress on for this, you know, type <laughs> thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. You know, there are times when I'm writing, I'm actually answering questions out loud and, and my daughter and my wife will come in. Who are you talking to? Nobody. Leave us alone. You know, that's great. my psychiatrist thinks it's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, writing is the only, uh, see, how does it go? Writing is the only socially acceptable form of um, schizophrenia, right? Because <laughs> we hear the voices, but you know, that's just who we are. It's not even a big deal. <laughs> Thank God I'm finally socially acceptable. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, well, and that's interesting. I, I like that you said that you mapped out their tendencies. I've found with coaching clients that the people who, when you talk about characters jumping off a page or writing the scenes, you know, for you, the people who don't map out the personalities to a certain extent first, that doesn't, they don't experience that. They just tell their characters what to say and the character says it. And these are the characters that are going to end up being really flat on the page. You know what I mean? Not having... Um, a whole lot of uniqueness. So I find that people who have really unique character voices, it's because they thought about that. They thought about the tendencies. They thought about, and a lot of people don't do it even um, very consciously. They just kind of have it in their head and they don't even realize they're doing it, you know? Well, the thing of it is, if you don't understand who you're writing, how do you know when they get mad? Right. How do you right. know when something's going to set them off? And, it, yeah. you know, in order to make that nice little twist in a conversation, you have to understand that, you know, this particular person may be triggered by something, mm -hmm. you know, that happened to him in the past. And you kind of have to understand his past before mm -hmm. you can write what's going to happen to him in the book. So, you know, maybe, you know, in the back of your mind, he was, you know, beat up as a child by his, by his, you know, stepdad mm -hmm. or something like that. And, you know, he's walking down the supermarket. It's, you know, just picking up groceries, just doing whatever. And he sees somebody, you know, cuff a child. And all of a sudden it triggers him. And he takes a can of beans and beats, you know, bashes the guy's head. And head uh, sorry. Uh, I can write a lot better than I can talk, evidently. But, uh, you know. That's true you know, of me, too, and I podcast. So I guess you podcast, yeah, too. I know. Yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that psychotic? But, you know, we are gluttons for punishment. We are. We, uh, but, you know, in that triggers them to do something. And usually in my books, it's something, you know, fairly violent that gets them in trouble or, you know, whatever. Um, 
but it's it's the uh, it's it's those triggers that you have to understand in order to write the scene. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, why why is he acting the way he is? You know, it's always right. got to do with their past. It's yeah. not a bad idea to write short stories based on their past. Hmm. Yeah. Because if you write that short story, whether you publish it or not, or you can always publish it after you publish your series, mm-hmm. but it gives you a dossier on, on, on your characters. Right. You know. Yeah, and you can actually, we'll get into marketing here in a minute, but you can repurpose that sort of thing. So that it helps you when you're writing, but then you can use it as a lead magnet, give it to your list, just as something extra, you know, so. One thing that I like to do is I like to write a short story on the villain. Nice. (laughs) And so what I do is I do it, I write in first person. Okay. Everybody goes, oh my God, how do you do that? (laughs) Just do it. Um, (laughs) Like I said, the voices are real. But, uh, (laughs) you know, in my genre, that's perfectly acceptable. Right. But um, the the one thing that I do is I map out, okay, here's the villain's plan. Okay. So I map out the plan and I'll write a short story based on it. And I write it from the villain's perspective so that, um, you know, at every turn, the hero is trying to fight him. And, you know, I've, I've got scenes in my mind where the villain's going, oh, that jerk, why the heck did he shut down this operation? Or why did he you know, how did, how did he stop that? I don't understand. I had this thing perfectly planned, right. you know, and it, it gives me a, uh, insight to what the villain is actually going to, uh, how he's going to react, mm-hmm. you know, how mad he's going to get or, or, you know, what, uh, what, what is he going to pull out of his arsenal now to, uh, you know, dehabilitate the, uh, the hero, you know, right. So he's got his little fingers when <laughs> I'm going to do this now, you know, type thing, or, you know, he's got the uh, attitude that um, this should really stop him. And, you know, of course yeah. it's a girl's job not to be stopped, but. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good practice. It helps the villain be the hero of his own story, which he needs to be. And I always say, I almost feel like most people, they don't, a lot of people do plan out their villains well, but they don't plan them out quite in as much detail as the hero and that's probably because the hero tends to have more screen time, which I understand, but I almost feel like they need to plan out the hero or the villain even more than the hero, just because they're the ones driving the conflict. You know, without that, you're going to end up with a not so great story sometimes if you're not Again, careful. it's about the twists and the reactions, you know. I mean, right. again, if the villain all of a sudden sees something that triggers him, how do you know what triggers him? Right. You right. Know, but, I don't know. Absolutely. There are a lot better authors than I am out there doing a lot better <laughs> job that, that probably don't go through all the same things, but it's, it's all about the process you have to go through mm-hmm. to get your book out. Right. Well, and I'm a, I'm a big proponent of doing things intentionally. So there's some people, like you said, that don't necessarily go through all of that because they just can hold it in their head and that's great. But I also think, um, you know, if you're, for you, if you're going through and doing this, you're probably doing better, writing better than like 90% of the people uploading to Amazon because most people just don't think about it. They write more like, you know, what you said for your first book, just throw some chapters together and think it's going to be fabulous. But you need to be intentional about this kind of stuff, about planning your characters and planning your villains and knowing what pushes their buttons. And, you know, that's just the way to make people connect with your story. I, I think that comes from, you know, you need to make the switch at some point in time as an author. Um, there's learning to write in school. Then there's learning to write for entertainment. And then there, you know, you can do all this learning, but at some point in time, you got to stop learning and just write. 
and then right. figure out what your fans like and what your uh, what your voice is going to be and what your style is going to be because your style is going to be you, you may you may imitate some authors that you really like but you're going to develop your own style yeah. and that's that's where all this is has come from is you know spending you know you read and you start liking things and you uh you know dive into other authors and you find out what what you like what you don't like and -hmm. then you start creating your craft i honestly think that uh you know after three four books that's when you really start writing well Mm -hmm. i agree it's when it all really kind of starts to start out with a pen name and then (laughs) you know make another pen name and do a really good job on your fifth book yeah yeah for sure and i know a lot of authors that do that um so yeah so um let's switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about your different genres i mean they're all the ones you mentioned are all related but they're mm-hmm. also kind of slightly different i thought it was interesting that you said you wrote grimdark because i've i've even been to writers conferences where i talk about grimdark and the majority of people don't know what that is there's still a lot of people that don't know what grimdark is because it's what like, is grimdark it's niched down so far. So why don't you give us your um, definition of grimdark? Grimdark is, you know, where urban fantasy is kind of light and fluffy, you know, vampire academies and, and right, you know, right. everything else. Then you kind of dive into the dark fantasy where it gets grittier. Mm-hmm. Grimdark is everything's a moral gray area. Everything, you know, it is, you know, like your Witcher type stuff, you know, to mm-hmm. where your bad guy can actually be the hero and he's just fighting, you know, other bad guys or, you know, might ne- not necessarily be deemed as, as the uh, heroic type or even take the hero's journey, but it's, it's a very, uh, it, it's a, it's a darker, more violent type of genre than even dark fantasy. Right. So I think it steps it down and that's my interpretation of it. And that's kind of what, uh, what I look for when I'm, when I'm reading grimdark, I'm reading, I'm, I'm looking for something that's just, kind of brazenly violent and mm-hmm. you know with lots of uh with the details right you know not just he died but how did he die and, and right how, much, how many courts of blood were there and you know was there and everything else but right you know and yeah what magical talisman was used and, yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's kind of how i define it too it's usually in terms of content like you said darker and more violent and also in even in like i used to i think um Game of Thrones is very much straying into grimdark, grimdark territory. And another thing that I see a lot, not always, of course, it's going to depend on the author, is being willing to have main characters be raped is sometimes a proponent or a, what do you call that, uh, something that grimdark has, whereas most others either shy away from that or it's off the page. So it's just like a lot heavier, like you said, grittier issues mm-hmm. to deal with in them, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's just always interesting to me because I'll, I'll go to, you know, even writers conferences where I just assume everybody knows what that is. And people will come up to me and be like, what's grimdark? <laughs> well, you know, the, the problem is you have your main genre. So you have science fiction and fiction. And then underneath mm-hmm. that is fantasy. And then you have <clears throat> layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of different fantasy type thing of uh, uh, different fantasy categories. And that's Mm -hmm. basically been developing because of the search engines. Right. You know, and so they're trying to recategorize your books. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, we as authors have been flirting with different genres for quite some time. And so you may have a dark fantasy that flirts with horror that, you know, also flirts with being a thriller. And so it can be, you know, in, in several different categories. And that's where, you know, well, okay, let's, let's turn this into grimdark. So if somebody wants grimdark, you know, this is where this fits in because it's not really, you know, urban fantasy, dark fantasy, whatever. And so, you know, right. they're based on our our creativity they're trying to uh categorize us and put us in the little boxes yeah <laughs> and as far as i know there's not a grim dark um category right now on amazon but as the years go by and and more of these kind of niched genres come out the, the categories expand to have more and more i know right now um i've seen a lot of authors that are frustrated because urban fantasy and paranormal fantasy are, are in the same category and they really want those broken out because they are niche, niche readers and not everybody likes all of that, you know, but I'm sure eventually Amazon will end up breaking them out into their own categories. Yeah. But you know, again, Amazon's doing that, not necessarily for the, for the literary aspect, they're doing that for the sales aspect. So they'll break yeah. it out any which way they can. But if you have a paranormal stuck in urban fantasy and it's selling well, they'll just go ahead and leave that. Yeah, that's true. You know, it's, true. it's more about the dollars. It's not about, you know, how happy yeah. you make the readers by, you know, oh, whoops, they accidentally bought this book and never returned it. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's very true. And that's something I think a lot of us writers struggle with because even though obviously Amazon is a really great platform for us to reach readers and, and sell our work, yeah, they're, Amazon's not so much in our corner as maybe it seems like they are. You know, they're more in their own corner than they are in ours. They are and they aren't. You know, yeah. I mean, they're, they're first, they're first, uh, <laughs> their first mission is to sell. Yes. Always. And if they can, if they can sell you, then hey, you know what? You're you're a winner in their in their court. Right. Right. You know. And so, are you? Let me ask you this then: Are you wide or are you exclusive? I'm exclusive. Are you? Yeah, and that works yeah. well for you. Uh, you know, it does. Um, I have a fear of going wide. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I do is because I make a good amount of money on KU right. and you know, everybody that's gone wide has said, Oh my gosh, it's really good. Now I do plan on putting some audiobooks out that I'm going to record myself. Oh, nice. And I'm going to go wide with the audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that might be a, a, a good way of going. Yeah. Um, but as far as the eBooks go, I, I, I can't, you know, every time I think, oh boy, now it's time to go wide. Let's put this out there in Kobo and, and let's get, um, you know, smash words and draft a digital and let's, let's get it all out there. You know, <laughs> um, that's when all of a sudden I have a really good KU day and I'm like, Ooh, I don't want to get rid of that. Hmm. Right. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I'm always kind of stuck in that, but I, yeah. I think at some point in time, I'll when when it dies down on Amazon, then I'll probably you know take them out mm-hmm. of KU and and put them wide and see if I can't do another re-release. But right. I really want to wait till I have um, uh, more books out before I do that. Yeah, and I think that's you know we were going to talk a little bit about marketing, but I think that's yeah. an important um, thing to remember is that uh, it, it's based on the volume of books that you have out. Right. For most authors, every now and then you hear about somebody, oh, I had one book that sold, you know, a million copies. Mm-hmm. Okay. That, that happens infrequently, few and right. far between. Right. That is literally lightning striking. 
um, or else you spent a lot of money on marketing. But right. most authors, you know, realistically, when you want to start making, you know, when you look at, at making uh, a good a good living on on authoring, somehow, some way, whether it's under multiple pen names or whatever. 20 books seems to be about the, uh, the, the level that you want to be at. Once you have right. 20 books at out there, your, your previous stuff, uh, stuff starts getting read. Um, mm -hmm. you know, things, things start happening for you. Yeah. You know, even six between six and 12 books, you know, you start mm -hmm. seeing things kind of steadily go up and, and measure up as far as incomes go. So, I mean, it's really about, you know, putting out the material. Right. So about how many books do you write in a year? Uh, in 2020, zero. <laughs> really? I'm just, <laughs> um, I'm just curious because people are probably listening and wondering, you know, if it, if it takes 20 books, like people are always going to be projecting and trying to figure out how many books they need to write a year, how long it's going to take them to get to 20 books. And of course, you know, that's going to depend on the writer, but. Depends you on what your, your process down, is. If, if yeah. you're going to write to market, and you have everything laid out and you can, and you can lay out, you know, five, 10,000 words a day, you know, you mm -hmm. can put out books pretty fast. Right. Um, I've got a right. friend that, uh, that, uh, he, he, he puts out, you know, he, he just, he, for four months, he just chucks out the books. Okay. And he's getting them to the editor and, and he just kind of stockpiles them. And then he starts his releasing and he releases every four weeks, you know, until mm -hmm. he, and, and during that time he's promoting and everything else. And then he has this dead period again, where he just writes and writes and writes, and writes, and writes, and he throws out another six to eight books, you know, mm -hmm. and it's taken him a few years to get to be, you know, to be a full-time author, but uh, you know, he's, he's doing really well. Right. You know, he's, and. Uh... Hi prolific authors, me again. All authors know the best investment they can make in their writing career, other than doing the actual writing, of course, is to build their author email list. Like many of you, I started small, using the cheapest, most common provider I could find. But things have changed in recent years. The go-to email providers authors used to use simply aren't supporting us as well as they used to. That's why I use ConvertKit. Its functionality is off the charts amazing. Deliverability is stellar. And in all the time I've used ConvertKit, I've never had problems with getting emails to my list exactly when I wanted to. ConvertKit allows you to put everything on autopilot so you can connect with your fans in the way you want to, but without sacrificing valuable writing time to do it. With a totally free plan to get you started and comparable pricing as your list increases, there's something for everyone. So invest in yourself now by going with an email provider that will grow with you. Visit bit.ly forward slash TPA email. TPA as in the prolific author. So once again, that's bit.ly forward slash TPA email. Because we are prolific authors and prolific authors have stellar email lists. That rapid releasing probably sustains him through the period when he's writing and not releasing. Right. Um, I know another person who uh, actually I just, um, uh, Catherine Hudson, I just interviewed her, um, her uh, podcast coming out here in a little bit and she writes 18,000 words a day. Wow. wow. And does it well. Yeah. And she is stockpiling books and she's putting them out, you know, and, mm -hmm. and uh, she also goes rates for people and, and, um, you know, if you can put out that kind of volume, you can do very, you can do very well. If you're yeah. the type of person that's going to put out 3000 words a day, you know, it's going to be much slower, but it really depends on what your process is. 
right. you know, um, it also depends what genre you're in. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if you're uh, uh, epic fantasy, um, you need to plan on probably somewhere between 80 and 120,000 words mm-hmm. that you're going to stick out there. You know, right. you have to do that w- world building and all that kind of stuff. If you're doing like an urban fantasy, dark fantasy type thing, yeah, you know, 50 to 60,000 words, yeah, it's about right. You know, and yeah. you can put out books much faster. Right. If you're going to do flash, you know, flash fiction or else you're just going to put out novellas, you can do that too. As long as, you know, I know a lot of people that put out series, episodic type novels that are mm-hmm. only 25,000 words and they can crank those, you know, they crank them out every four weeks. Right. You know, right. and they've always got a new release out there, but it's episodic so that, you know, it gives readers enough time to read that book and then want the next one. And then they, you know, they shovel out the next one and, you know, they make good money. It all depends on what you're doing and, and what your genre is. Right. So you have to do your um, due diligence on the genre and figure out how to make it work for you. What would you tell people who are struggling to get their words written every day? Because there's plenty of people who think it's not possible to do, you know, however many, 5,000, 10,000, 18,000 words a day because they're not doing it and they just can't even wrap their head around it. And I think it's just really a matter of training your brain to do it. So what advice would you give people who are struggling to actually, you know, get their butt in the seat and write the words? Start with sprints. Yep. Start with a sprint. Do a 15-minute sprint and just write. Yeah. Do a 10-minute sprint. Whatever you can, just write. And mm-hmm. you know, don't care if it's good, bad, or you know, whatever it is. Just write. Don't worry about the words. Don't worry about the sentences actually making any sense. Just write. Yeah. And then once you once you hit a a you know once you hit 60 words per minute, 70 words per minute, and you know it's like okay, then extend the time. Mm-hmm. you know, and make it a, make it a habit that every day, every single day, you're going to sit down, you're going to write something, you know, so you could, you could do like a two, three hour block of writing and only get 300 words done. But if you, if you practice sprints, you will find that you, you uh, create something and you can create it efficiently after time. Right. You know, after the time has passed. And so it, it really comes down to just doing these writing sprints mm-hmm. and being able to just whatever you need to do, just focus on, on your writing for that moment, whether it's shutting everything off, whether it's listening to music or whatever it is that your, your uh, thing is, mm-hmm. you know, and don't let anybody tell you, Oh my God, you must do this. It's your process. You love it. Right. You know, right. you do what you do. What works for you. Yeah, I agree. So um, let's talk about marketing then a little bit more. So okay. what did you do differently the second time when you were more successful than you did the first time? I mean, obviously, writing a better book is always going to be your best marketing. But what else did you do specifically to market your books? And do you still do? The first thing I would say is don't worry about marketing your first book. Right. When you put it out there, don't spend any money on ads or don't think that you're going to be spending, you know, a hundred, two hundred dollars on Amazon ads or Facebook ads and going to make any kind of a splash. Right. I mean, honestly, if you're going to spend money on marketing, get a mail chip or mail or light account and get email addresses, Mm -hmm. build up your mailing list, release two or three books yeah, you know, if you know a series is the best way to do this, but you know, get two or three books out there and then start worrying about marketing your book. But the whole time, 
be creating your digital footprint and be creating that email list because that will serve you much better than any other uh, medium of advertising. Um, as, as things progress, and this is the way it's always been for years and years and years of marketing, um, platforms come up and they're really cheap to advertise on. Okay, Google Ads is is probably the 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 latest. Um, yeah, Facebook's kind of getting that way too. But Google Ads, everybody was you know advertising, and it cost you you know two or three cents to throw that advertisement out. And people were building businesses on this type of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, where they just throw out an advertisement and boom, look, instant business. I'm making I'm making cash on the internet. Right. Lots of, lots of, uh, you know, get rich quick schemes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. What happened was Google decided that, you know what, 80% of our time is supporting, um, these smaller advertisers and they're only about 15% of our product of our profit. But if we change things around so that the major advertisers and the people that actually have millions of dollars to spend on advertising, which is, you know, a big chunk of what, uh, where we're making our money on Google ads. If we focus on those guys and forget about the little guys and make it almost a little, almost too expensive for them to advertise, um, we'll make more money with less effort. And that's what happened. And you saw overnight, a whole bunch of internet businesses just kind of come crashing down and they had to find different methods. We had Facebook come out with their advertising platform and their, you know, the way you can target people on Facebook is second to none. Mm -hmm. But you also see that, you know, the auctioning and the bidding is starting to, you know, get up there to where, you know, you're going to probably see the same thing happen there as you have with Google. So if you're relying on Facebook, at some point in time, expect that revenue stream to be cut off. Right. Amazon ads. Amazon ads, it's getting more and more expensive. You notice, I don't know if you run Amazon ads or not, but you yeah, know, yeah. <clears throat> the daily email I get from them saying, you know, you should increase your budget because you get much more impressions if you did this. It's like, no, that's what my daily budget is. Sorry. Right. You know, I still want to make a profit on my book. I don't want to all of a sudden turn up with a thousand dollar fate or, you know, uh, Amazon ad bill. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're trying to crank up the advertising because it's easy money for them. Right. Yeah. You know, to where at some point in time, it's going to be the mainstay authors, you know, and and the bigger authors that are the only ones that are going to be able to afford advertising. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that may happen. That may not happen. But no matter what, you have this email list of people are actually interested in your book. You always can advertise to them. Mm -hmm. No matter who changes what that email address is yours. Right. So and let me ask you this. I've actually been, I haven't run Amazon ads the last few months, um, but I've been really inundating myself with Facebook ads know-how and not necessarily from an author standpoint, but from more of a general entrepreneurial standpoint. And it's kind of made me realize that there's a lot of things that just simply aren't really taught very much in the author community. Um, and of course it's a little different because books are such small ticket items, you know, so we have to take that into account. But um, let me ask you this. How do you go about advertising to your list? Like how often do you ask them to buy your books and that sort of thing? In my newsletters? Yeah. To your email list. Um, I don't really, 
you know, obviously you, you build up excitement by telling them, Hey, this book's going to be coming out when you actually have a launch date, you tell them what the launch date is. Um, mm -hmm. I never really ask them to buy a book. I just okay. tell them what's going on. Yeah. You know, that, that email is a conversation between me and you, mm -hmm. you know, I want that to be a little more intimate than I, I don't want it to be an infomercial all the time. Right. Right. You know, I want to tell them what's going on, what's happening. I'll promote somebody else's book saying, Hey, this just came out. You know, it, uh, it looks awesome. You should read this. You know, it, it's kind of close to my genre. It's a friend of mine or whatever, you know, or you do this letter swap or whatever. But, um, right. you know, I really, I really try and make it so that um, the newsletters at least get some sort of interaction with the, uh, with the reader. Now I'm, I'm really bad at, um, I've got two different mailing lists. I've got one that I'm really active on. And then I have one that I do probably once a month. Yeah. Depending on what the series is. Are those for different genres? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and so um, the, the one that I do that I'm interactive with once a month, um, I still get a good open rate. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's more of a, hey, how you doing? You know, this is what's going on. You know, it's been a lot of, you know, well, this is kind of how COVID's been affecting my family. You know, how, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. you know, type thing. And it's been just kind of a, you know, whatever while I wait for the next release of my, uh, my dark, uh, uh, dark side of good series, you know, but it's, it, and I have a reader group that's, you know, again, you know, we just joke around a little bit and everything else and yep, still writing, you know, type <laughs> thing. But, uh, the other one, which, um, is a uh, different genre underneath a different name. Uh, <laughs> I'm more active with because every time I send out an email, um, I get more, more buys, mm -hmm. you know, I get, I get more sales. And so that one, that one actually produces a, a good amount of money. I yeah. talked to uh, one uh, gentleman overseas that he runs mailing lists all the time. And every time he sends out an email with a new release, it's 10,000 bucks. Well, wow. I want to get there. Right, yeah. right. And, so and I, 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 yeah, I, I think, and the reason I asked is because I think, you know, what you were saying about advertising changing and, and that revenue might get cut off at some point. I think we're going to have to, the ones who are really successful are going to have to switch almost entirely to email marketing. And that just means you just got to grow your list, you know, and that way you can tell them and that's what will happen. Like you said, you have enough people on there to make $10,000 or whatever every time you put out a book, you know. Right. I really think it's going to be going more toward that than what it is now. I, I think what's going to happen is, you know, um, a, a friend of mine calls it, calls it digital sharecropping, mm. you know, and that's, you know, Amazon ads versus, you know, ads on BookBub or Goodreads or, you know, uh, Facebook, whatever you're doing, you're basically sharing that space with all the other authors who are trying to, right. you know, um, the one thing I would say, BookBub probably has the second best, I, I probably third best uh, targeting methods, you know, because you can actually pick the authors and the books that you want to target saying, okay, if you read this, you should probably read my book. Right. You know, type thing. Uh, Facebook, um, <clears throat> again, I think has the best targeting. Yeah. Uh, all yeah. around. But, um, you know, I think people get lost in that. Mm -hmm. You know, the, I think they use the, uh, I, I don't think, I don't think authors are, yeah, I think they'll boost a post instead of actually creating ad content. And yeah. uh, 
I think they'll use the uh, just the um, interface that comes from with uh, the Facebook page versus actually going into the business page and actually, you know, drilling down to the targeting and 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 running analytics on on how the ads doing. Um, I don't think that I don't see a ton of authors using pixels, and pixels right. are the coolest thing in the world. Right, use them. Well, that's what I meant when I said I started looking into this and there's so many things that I just don't see being taught or at least not taught well in the author community. And a lot of authors, they just don't know about them. So they're running ads that really are not very profitable, you know? You know, I mean, you know, posting videos and, and boosting those and using the the video watches to actually target marketed, you know, target uh, uh, people that might be interested in your genre or um, lookalike, lookalike audiences are, right. are really strong. And any combination you can think of thereof to target anybody in any group or any kind of classification that you want to is really, you know, kind of a cool thing. Mm-hmm. It you is. Know, yeah. Without giving away too much. <laughs> so, which ads do you do you use predominantly, or do you use a combination of them? Which what? I'm sorry. Which ads do you do? A lot of Facebook or a lot of Book Club or how do you use um, them? If you're talking about books, I do uh, probably 50% uh, Amazon. Okay. Um, I The rest of it will be Facebook. Yeah. Um, BookBub, I'll do every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I, I never get a real good feeling or a real good, uh, you know, unless you're going to get a BookBub deal, um, you know, that... I don't really think it all, it pays off all that well, unless you're wide. Right. That's true. You know, public wide better. Yeah. yeah. If you're, uh, you know, if you're going to be in KU and you're going to be, you know, uh, all your eBooks are going to be on Amazon eh, book, bub, it, it's a good place to, to uh, build followers because they get an email every time that you uh, throw out a right. book. But beyond that, I don't think the advertising is all that great because you have a uh, probably what's it, 50, 40 or 50 percent of their audiences, you know, looked at, you know, Google Books or Kobo or iBooks or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever yeah. they're reading. And if you're not on there, you're advertising to people that just aren't ever going to buy your book on Amazon. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I asked you something else and I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> Um, that's against all podcast rules, oh, by the way. I got it. <laughs> it just took me a minute. So let me ask you this. Um, I, I do do Amazon ads, but I also have three really completely different genres. So I have to test keywords for every single one and that slows mm-hmm. me down a lot. So how long did you find, find that it took you to, you know, figure out good keywords on Amazon that worked for, for you, like to test and everything? Well, I mean, how do you test them? How do I test them or how does yeah. anybody test them? No, how do you um, test them? How do I test them? I scrape keywords various ways, and then I kind of use uh, Brian Cohen's method of just putting them up there at a small, um, what do you call it, like a reasonable bid, 25 to 35 cents, and then I just watch them over time, and the ones that convert, I can put them into a super ad and you know mm-hmm. crank up the spend, that sort of thing. But it takes time, and it takes a little bit of money, and so you know there are times that that can slow you down. Mm-hmm. How about you? How do you test yours? Uh, I do basically the same thing. Okay. I, I use Brian Cohen's method on uh, for the Amazon ads. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I'll do is I look at at SEO statistics for the uh, um, on SEMrush. 
for uh, uh, certain keywords depending on, because I want to be found on, on Google also. And uh, so that just tells you how many searches that sort of thing is done for that keyword. <laughs> yeah. Whether or not it's going to be okay. good. I, I kind of use um, uh, publisher rocket also mm -hmm. just to see what uh, you know, what their ranking is. And then I'll look at a Kalytics report and uh, you know, that's how I kind of come up with them. And then I test them using at, you know, $5 ads at uh, nickel, a nickel a piece for every keyword. You know, okay. some of them, I, some of them, you know, if they actually are turning over a revenue and I can prove that they're profitable, you know, I'll up the bid on them mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, some of them that, uh, that just don't get any resonance at, uh, at a nickel a piece. Um, I may raise them if I think they're a good keyword or I may just get rid of them. Yeah. You know, the, the problem is that you're bidding against all the authors and right. they're using the same keywords and somebody, somebody's coming in build, bidding 30, 40 cents on it. Okay. You know, I only make so much money per book. Why am I going to spend, you know, a huge percentage of my profits mm -hmm. on advertising this one keyboard or keyword that, uh, you know, a hundred other authors are using and why would I get into a bidding war? So I, I go, right. low, I go really low on, on my keyword research. And then the ones that resonate are the ones that I'll scrape up and I'll put my gen. I, I uh, organize my uh, ads in Gen 1, Gen 2, Gen 3, Gen 4, and Final. And mm -hmm. so I'll, I'll move the keywords from Gen 1 is where I do my research. Gen 2 is where um, I kind of work on my script, on my, uh, on my uh, ad scripts, mm -hmm. you know, whatever I write, you know, and right. does this resonate. And that's where I do my A-B testing on, on the actual ads and the graphics. Gen 3 is something that I'm making money on. And then if it's something that's continually... Um, you know, it looks like it's producing. I'll put it into gen four if I want to do more testing or my final, and then I just let it run until it dies. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So and yeah. I, I typically have 40, 50 ads running. Nice. You know, between all but of them. But just all really low or at least the early ones that really well spend. Yeah, because um again, the whole the whole game's to make profit, not to lose money on a book. So I mean if my right. if my total ad spend uh, doesn't uh, break even or make me a little bit of profit, then why am I advertising? Right. Which comes back to what we talked about at the beginning of having at least three books because otherwise you're just going to end up spending more than you're bringing in. Right. Right. The, uh, you know, same thing with Facebook, you know, mm -hmm. realistically, yeah. you can mess around with ads a little bit just to get a feel for it and spend a little money on your education. But you know, three, four books and then start advertising towards, you know, if it's a series, always advertise book one, you know, right. or advertise and point towards a series page, you know, but, yeah. uh, you know, cause some people just buy the whole series. Yeah. But which and is that's a, actually from an interview. It's like, Oh yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've known that a little bit. And for anybody who does go wide on BookBub, actually that works really well on BookBub. So, yeah. um, at least for the Amazon link, you know, you can advertise. Well, I, it seems to me that the people that go wide have less advertising on Amazon and more advertising on Facebook and BookBub and, you know, those yeah. other, those other types of places. Um, the people that are, that are, you know, tied to KU, they will predominantly advertise on Amazon. On Amazon. Yeah. I'm just starting to take my books wide. I have exactly one series that I've taken wide so far very, very recently. So I haven't, you know, I don't really have anything to say one way or the other about how well it's worked. 
but I, I was told too that, it, you know, you probably shouldn't go wide until you have the um, budget to get advertising on different platforms, you know, do mm -hmm. a Kobo promo one week or one month, one week, and then do like a Nook promo the next month. And that's kind of how you'll build your wide, but it's, you know, so it kind of goes back to the same thing. If you've got one book and no budget, it really probably is best to stay in KU until you've, you know, grown as right. an author to the point where you can sustain it as a business model. There's a lot of people that I know that at, at, you know, they've got, they got 15, 20 books out mm -hmm. and they'll go into Amazon and KDU and do their soft launch there. Mm -hmm. And then they'll do it for 90 or 180 days. Right. And once they have all the tweaks done, you know, you get that one review that says, Hey, you screwed this up on chapter three. <laughs> oh yeah. You know, you can change it real quick and everything else and then go wide. Right. You know, there's nothing wrong with test releasing and then, and then going wide. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> You know. Yeah, I've heard that. And I, I was thinking I might start doing that too. If I want to take my books wide, I think that's a really good um, process to have so that you can kind of hit all the audiences at least once, you know? Yeah. The thing that always, like I said, always stops me is that, you know, that KU check is really nice. It is. <laughs> it definitely is. But it also depends on um, genre to a certain extent, because some genres do better in KU than others do. Absolutely. And so I feel like, I know that like romance does well there, so I don't, I don't have any judgment at all for romance authors because they make all their money in KU and that's a lot of money, you know, for yep. that genre. But there's plenty of genres that go into KU and they just don't do as well in KU. So right. if that's the case, why not take them wide, you know? And it, yeah, it, it's absolutely a case by case basis. You, you know, as an author, you're running a business and you want to make money. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, right. there's very few of us that are out there just to spread our art. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's, it's, you know, at least break even for God's sake. Right. Um, the, uh, you know, so I mean, it all depends on what you're doing. If, if you've got something in KU and it's, it's, it's continually kicking you out uh, checks, mm -hmm. you know, then, then stick with that. If you know it well, it's an easy platform to, you know, just get into and, and publish and, you know, just have, uh, you know, all sorts of fun with. If you, uh, um, aren't doing all that well, well then, you know, leave it on Amazon, but take it out of KU, publish yourself to Kobo and Barnes and Noble, and then the rest of it go into uh, Publish Drive or mm -hmm. Draft a Digital and right. let them publish you to the rest of it, mm -hmm. you know, and that, then you only have three or four portals to screw around with. Right. And, uh, you know, you, again, you can advertise anyway, you can do Google ads if you want, I wouldn't, but you know, right. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's where your, you know, your Facebook um, um, ads can be more effective because you can go, you know, further out than, than just in the U.S. or whatever your territory happens to be, you know, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, the thing with Amazon, you have to kind of worry about the markets and, you know, they, they don't have a real big standing in, in Canada, whereas Kobo is a Canadian company and right. you're going to sell books in, in Canada if you, uh, you know, go with Kobo, but. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we're kind of running out of time, but one thing we didn't talk about too is selling off your website. And as the, like we talked about, as the marketing gets harder on Facebook and Amazon and, and you know, platforms we don't own, I think we're going to see more authors needing to sell from their website, which is a problem with the exclusivity, you know, so it's. Well, yeah, it is. The one thing that I see happening is I think nonfiction has a lot better chance of, of selling off their website than fiction. Mm -hmm. I think Probably. fiction is always going to need the bookstore, the portal just yeah. because there's so many of us and you're going to have to have that, 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 uh, 
um, that backup of a bookstore of an online yeah. bookstore. Yeah. But, you know, I may be wrong. No, no, I think, I think you're right. At least in terms of finding readers that are cold readers, I think selling off your book or your website will be more something geared toward your list who already knows who you are and doesn't mind hopping over to your website and buying your book, you know, but in terms of right. finding new readers, I think you're right. There, there kind of does have to be a um, bookstore portal. I, I yep. agree with that. Now, if you want to do lead maintenance and stuff from your website, then yeah, that works out the best. But mm -hmm. I think, I think actually selling, you know, because you know, everybody wants to buy something and then, you know, you have that every, every now and then you have somebody return it because they hated it, mm -hmm. you know, fairly quickly or the borrows or, you know, anything like that to where, um, you know, uh, you know, the online bookstores probably do a better job than, than we can managing that ourselves. Right. Right. Know? Yeah. Yep. I think so. <clears throat> well, um, as a final question, what advice would you give to writers who are just trying to get started and get into the business? Write. Yeah. <laughs> just write. Just write. You know, don't worry about the marketing until you have a, a an inventory of books. Um, don't worry about making a big splash. Don't worry about anything. Just write. Try and get a million words written before you start worrying about spending any money on advertising. Yeah, I like that as a threshold. Figure out a million words and it's just getting one or two or three books under your belt is going to teach you more than anything else will. The other thing I would say too is do not, do not uh, forget about short stories. Hmm. Use short stories, throw them out on your blog, throw them out on your website, you know, do whatever you have to do. Get them published in anthologies. There's a billion anthologies out there looking for short stories. You know, mm -hmm. that's a good way to get your name out there and get involved in other author groups right. is being in these short story anthologies, you know, whatever genre you happen to be in. Mm -hmm. Enter some contests if you want or whatever, but short stories count towards that word count and they will help you formulate how quickly you have to get to the point as far as writing. You know, they're, right. they're a great exercise you know, whether it's flash fiction or whether it's just, you know, your normal 6,000 word uh, short story that you want to throw out there just for fun. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think that's a good point. I'm somebody who's really um, long winded in my, in my writing. So writing short stories definitely helps me to not be too flowery in the writing. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really good exercise for new authors. Very good. So. Very good piece of advice. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. It was really, really fun. And it was great no to get to know you. <laughs> yeah, you too. <laughs> sounds, uh, sounds like uh, uh, you should be on my podcast one of these days. Yeah. Hey, maybe. Hey. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> never know. <laughs> And there you have it. Uh, I thought Jeff gave us some real gems there. And I hope that you guys were able to take some good advice away from that and, and really implement it in your own writing career. Before you go, remember to uh, subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening. And if you would be so kind as to give me a review, that helps the algorithm pick up the podcast and show it to other people so that more people can get in on this advice as well, who are also making their way through this crazy writing journey that we're all part of. So if you could help me out by leaving a review on whichever platform you're listening on, I would really, really appreciate it. And if you're interested, don't forget to um, hop over to calendly.com forward slash the career author forward slash clarity 15 to hop on a call with me. Uh, I do get booked out pretty quickly. So make sure and act fast. All right, everyone have a great week of writing and I will see you next week. Bye. Me again. Before you go, if you found value in this episode, I would love it if you could leave me a review. 
Reviews are the best way to show your appreciation and help others find this podcast. Be sure to screenshot it, share it on your favorite social media network, and tag me at LK Hill Books. Remember, the world needs your stories. Only you can change someone's heart with your fire-breathing dragons, your mind-blowing mysteries, your epic romances, and your intense thrillers. So join the revolution and be a prolific author.